Empower yourself today with legal knowledge and follow us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook to get access to jargon-free legal information in plain and simple English. Today's episode is supported by Red Bar Law, the go-to law firm for expert, efficient and fast legal assistance, all at a fixed cost. Go to our website at redbarlaw.com. Hello and welcome back to our podcast at Get Legally Speaking. Our legal conversation today will be on Brexit and business. I am joined by David Berkeley QC. David is the head of chambers at Three Paper Buildings, a deputy judge, a qualified mediator and arbitrator and a lecturer. David's practice focuses on complex disputes and major trial work and he regularly appears in the High Court and the Court of Appeal in contentious security and receivership issues, civil fraud trials and directors and shareholders disputes. David, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Hattie. Good to see you. It's really good to see you and it's so good to be recording with you again because it just feels like forever since we actually last met as well. That's true. The world has changed since then. It has. It has become such a different place. And Brexit and business, I think, is one of the things that have taken place, to be fair. Um, After Brexit happened on the 31st of January 2020, the UK needed to decide the rules for their future trading relationship. And this was important because the EU and the UK's largest uh, closest trading partner After months of negotiation, which went right down to the wire, a UK-EU trade deal came into force on the 1st of January 2021. And the UK-EU Trade and Corporation Agreement sets out, you know, preferential arrangements in areas such as trade in goods and services. And while it will be by no means match the level of economic integration that existed while the UK was an EU member state, the Trade and Cooperation Agreement goes beyond traditional free trade agreements and provides a solid basis for preserving our long-standing friendship and cooperation. Um, so yes, let's talk about it. How does the new trade agreement that has been agreed between the UK and EU differ from the EUK and EU's pre-Brexit trading relationship? Okay, well, first of all, yes, thank you. As you pointed out, you know, we have, um, what we've done is we've come out of a system that was effectively a harmonized market. And uh, what we've tried to do is to avoid any sharp change. So what we've attended to do is we've entered into this UK-EU trade and cooperation agreement and some other related agreement. And, and, and it's that trade agreement, which is now the main agreement to cover future UK-EU trading um, following the end of the transition period. Now, this applies at the moment to, on a provisional basis, subject to ratification, but the important thing is that what they've tried to do, what they've tried to do is to try to make as little change as possible so that Brexit will have as as limited an impact on English contracts law as possible. And to do that, what they've done is, what they've done is, they've, they've, they've obviously had to repeal quite a lot of material that, that was under EU law, but they've retained it effectively as English law. So, so in that sense, a lot, of the, a lot of the things associated with trade, with standards, um, and with the things such as the, um, how at the moment, tariffs are going to be imposed and uh, how interest and exchange rates work. Uh, the purpose is to tr- try and keep it as close 
to what was the case immediately prior to the withdrawal. I mean, I, I hear you. And, you know, we kind of, I think everybody just held their breath after Brexit and thought, what's it going to look like for me? What's it going to look like for me in business? What's it going to mean when I go to the you know, go to the supermarket just to buy some simple goods? What's it going to be for me, like for me if I'm selling and I'm buying from outside of the UK to, to import? I've, you know, I, driving on the motorways, for example, there's there's lots of signs up. You can see them saying paperwork changed, check EU, you know, post-Brexit paperwork and things like that. And it kind of makes you think, what has actually changed? But, well, I mean, what would you say are the main points that should be considered um, to continue exporting or importing now that we're out of the EU, David? Right. Well, the position is a little bit clearer now in relation to tariffs. So tariffs, the position now where we've got the, this agreement agreed is that, uh, is that at the moment um, we're in a position where people aren't necessarily seeing the tariffs, but there could be changes in the tariff rates, uh, particularly when goods are re-exported from the UK or don't meet the relevant country of origin requirements. And and there could be also, in theory, changes to VAT treatment if we don't harmonise with Europe. And, of course, that depends on political decisions that might be taken further downstream. Second, and importantly, importantly, there is the fact that now that we're no longer part of the customs union, with the EU. So, in theory, custom checks may be needed for goods entering and leaving the EU. And, and, and that itself could potentially cause cost and delay in connection with contracts. So, we, what, what, what we've got at the moment, I would say, is, is in theory, regulatory regimes, two different regimes, one in the UK, one in the EU. Um, they appear to be relatively parallel at the moment, but they could diverge. If they did diverge, then we might not necessarily have the mechanism in place for mutual recognition. And if that was to happen, going down, looking looking with a crystal ball, if that was to happen, then, then, then it would mean that businesses in this country would have to be complying with different regulatory regimes and conformities. So, so yes, in theory, those those could lead to difficulties. There's also... Um, the effect on movement of people and therefore the effect of labour. So, you know, we, we have a, a sec- certain sectors which are heavily reliant upon, upon workers from EU countries, particularly in construction and hospitality and so forth. And, and again, it's, 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 we can't assume that, that going forward there's going to be the same frictionless movement of people um, as we've had in the past. I mean- so... Uh, these clearly are all are all factors to be to be to, to be concerned about. Yes, no, indeed. I mean, a vast amount of trading trading areas, you know, were covered by the UK EU trade and corporation agreement. You know, such as digital trade, intellectual property, public procurement, aviation and road transport, energy, fisheries, social security coordination, law enforcement, judicial cooperation, and criminal matters. You know, just to name but a few. Everything, everything has had to have to sort of pull itself apart and in the most simple terms it's going to have to behave on its own and exist and live on its own separate to the EU but then it still has to have some sort of cooperation with the EU David doesn't it we can't just say you know what we're totally cut off now you know in terms of business because we have you know had Brexit 
Absolutely right. For some reasons, first of all, because they are our most significant trading partners, but also because the way the English law has evolved over the last uh, 50 years has been to incorporate increasingly more and more European law. So a lot of our common law has been affected by all sorts of things, whether it's transfer of undertakings in relation to sales of businesses, whether it's commercial agent regulations, there are many, many other rights that employees enjoy that are derived from 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 EU law, and those effectively now have been restated as English law. So but what we don't necessarily have is the continued evolution is because of the, we haven't got the same influence um, of the European Court. Yeah. So, so, so whether, whether we will continue to be harmonised in the way that we possibly are at the moment, again, depends on a number of things, including what the political complexion is. Uh, of, of any future administration, both here and in the EU. Yes, now I get it. I mean, and then there's, you know, as well as people conducting their business and saying, well, how does Brexit, how is it going to affect me? I think now that we're sort of more than halfway through this year, 2021, we can, lots of people have been able to start feeling the effects because if I'm not mistaken, the um, actual um corporation agreement set out and came into effect 1st of May 2021, I think was the last date that I saw. But say if you're an EU EEA student, um, you know, how will Brexit affect changes of being accepted into the UK, into a UK study centre, for example? You know, these are questions being asked by study centres themselves, conducting business to bring students over. And and, and I guess, you know, students themselves are asking these questions. Can they simply rely on what the study centres are saying? I mean, do we know what the, what the thought, thoughts are around that? Well, the, the, you're right to ask the questions. I don't think I've got an answer for that. Um, it, it, it's, it's, uh, I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you off the hoof where, where we are in relation to, to students from the EU. I know that obviously a lot of the UK students um, who were enjoying... Um, the opportunity to spend semesters in Europe and who took advantage of Erasmus schemes and so forth, they must be concerned about the, uh, about the fact the we changes. are detached, detached. But, you know, but I think that in terms of commercial contracts, I mean, one of the, one of the things that, um, that, that I would say to people in business is concerned is that, first of all, we've got to recognise that, um, that, that, that things have changed. So even something as simple as the enforcement of a judgment, because we one stage would regard uh, our system based upon effectively a regulation called the Brussels regulation was that we could simply treat uh, our judgments here as automatically enforceable in the EU. Now, now we've effectively defaulted to something different, which is the Hague Convention, the Hague Choice of Court Convention, which is not as robust. And so, and so, and so you know, there's, there's this slipping away really which may not be perceptible to people at the moment but but it's something that uh, we have to recognize that 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 we haven't got the same relationship and it's only when you put it to the stress testing that's going to happen possibly when we come out of lockdown trade becomes more intense and we start seeing what's happening in relation to border control and how this fits in particularly you know with the situation in ireland Uh, i think like a lot of things we're going to perhaps have to allow for the unexpected that may not have been completely thought through at the time of the withdrawal. 
Oh, no, absolutely. And I think it goes without saying, you can't really have a conversation these days without mentioning COVID and the pandemic because it's been such a predominant and a big part of everybody's lives. It's affected, I think, everybody everywhere to some degree, others more than, than some, and et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, together, coupled with that, I think that Brexit, in my mind, in any case, has sort of fallen to second base to COVID because COVID's become, and the pandemic has unfortunately, you know, become such, a, 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 it's the topic of every day of everybody's lives. Well, it is. But if I was a corporate lawyer advising clients who were asking what is should now be under really under the radar at the moment, as particularly as we're coming out of uh, restrictions, it's to consider are we all the existing contracts, for example, that any business has got, is it fit for purpose now as we come out of um, as uh, you know now as we come out of uh, lockdown and we start trading. So so every business really that's operating really not just in, in Europe, but even, even around the world under work, work trade organisation rules, needs to conduct some form of an audit, consider how is Brexit going to affect that business? Are the contracts they have, their key contracts, are they, are, do they provide sufficient protection? Do they need to Will be... Will they really, stack up? Yeah, they may have to be terminated, for example. It may be that, that they need to be also future-proofed, which means you've got to consider what are the long-term consequences of Brexit. And I think this is part of... The reason why I think for a lot of corporate lawyers, they're going to be working very closely with a lot of their clients to make sure that everything there is in place, that the that the correct regulations are being identified, not the ones that have been repealed, that there's dispute resolution systems that actually work, that allow for the enforcement of English judgments, which wouldn't, which might have to Brexit be more difficult to enforce. Um, and 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 uh, there's there's also although it's probably too late for a lot of supply contracts, you know people have tried to introduce Brexit clauses, which means that the parties are in effect introducing uh, triggers, which when events certain take place in relation to the to, to the Brexit regulations, that that causes a renegotiation, for example, of contracts, and that could be relevant to changes in exchange rates or custom procedures. So I think exchange rates and customs procedures in relation to a lot of businesses is a key element of the, uh, of, of the component of Brexit, which in a sense, in a sense, it's a, it's a predictive process. We're going to have to see how that evolves over the next few months. I think I don't, you know, I have to say, I don't think it's unfair to say that, that the pandemic and COVID has just complicated Brexit, has just added, you know, difficulty to Brexit because of the pause, start, different stages of which countries are in, in, in having lockdowns, opening, people having to forfeit leases, landlords obviously being in, in, in some cases very difficult position with in regards to their tenants. But if you don't trade with Europe, if or if you're not, even if you're not trading with Europe, but if you don't buy from Europe to be able to sell in the UK or, you know, will Brexit still affect those of us that maybe don't do business with Europe, David? Yes, I think it does, because um, what, what, what we were told, or a lot of people considered, was that the effect of, um, of leaving the EU was to effectively allow us to uh, enter into new trading arrangements with the rest of the world. Now, it's, it's a slow process. I mean, we haven't seen dramatic uh, developments on that front. Uh, what, what, what happens is that we, we've, 
we've reverted to World Trade Organization terms in some respect of some countries. But the question really is, how, how effective is that for, um, for, for trading? Uh, are they, in fact, do they, are, they, are they competitive enough for the purposes of certain, certain businesses? And how does it affect particularly um, imports? So, I mean, I, I'll give you an example. I, mean, I don't uh, know the sector particularly well, but we do know that, that there's, a, there's a massive shortage as I understand it, of, of, um, of semiconductors and microprocessors. Processors. And part of that is to do with mining because of the particular lithium or the type of mineral that goes into this, which is in short supply. How um, interesting. And, and, so, and so what you're getting is you get, you're getting certain industries where their supply chain is, is actually being interrupted and their ability to come back into the production line to manufacture optimally is being restricted because of the fact that, uh, that there's a scramble across the world to acquire uh, that type of scarce commodity. So, um, you know, the, I'm, I'm quite sure that and many other things, you know, as part of the sort of macroeconomic position that, that is derived from, from the coincidence of these factors, namely Brexit and also um, the, the, the pandemic. And, and who knows? Who, who knows where this is going to end up because... Uh, that, that's a worrying one, David. We're not supposed to say that, but there you are. I'm glad we did. <laughs> You're right. I mean, there's so many wild cards that have been yeah. in the last... I mean, take take one example. I mean, gosh, you might imagine if there was a referendum um, and a second independence referendum in Scotland taking place, which is not out of the question in, in, in if you're talking about, you know, three or four years' time. Uh, and, and then you've got the, 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 the possibility of adding to all this complexity a breakup uh, of the United Kingdom and, and, and possibly uh, independent Scotland that is seeking to reintegration into Europe. So there's, there's all sorts of, uh, of, of matters of instability there, which all I would say from a point of view, I'm not an economist, I'm not a politician, but I would say from the point of view of, of, of um, commercial contracts and business, the thing to do is to make sure that people are looking at their contractual documents, looking at over what periods they're committing themselves to. Maybe they need to shorten the periods. Maybe they need to introduce review clauses. Maybe they introduce force majeure type clauses, which allow, in the worst case scenario, uh, parties to actually walk away from a contract. And you've mentioned that, uh, that we've been living through a very difficult time for certain sectors. You've mentioned, for example, in the property sector, the fact there's been restrictions on being able to forfeit and obtain possession. That means a lot of a lot of businesses that rely upon large property portfolios have had difficulties in terms of maintaining um, in maintaining their cash flow and the liquidity. And there's also obviously been businesses that have really struggled. And as you know, that has caused a lot of stress in relation to business interruption. And we've seen all these cases involving insurance claims where people thought they had policies that protected them. In the event of these well, you you touched on a very important point, which actually um, I don't think a lot of us has had the opportunity to perhaps sit there and think about the supply chains. So even though your direct business may not be dealing with Europe, i.e., you're not buying from Europe to sell in the UK, or you're not selling to Europe, but I certainly have seen the effect on supply chains even at my local supermarket where I've gone there and I thought, why is this product not available? It just feels like forever. And I think we've just been, in a way, spoilt in the UK because you can get 
anything any time of the year or year round so not having simple products available at the supermarket and I think only a few weeks ago I literally stopped and I said to somebody you know when are you going to stop this again what's going on and they just said we just simply aren't getting the product at the moment and I thought and I literally stood there and I I crossed my you know my eyes sort of my eyebrows sort of crossed I said what do you mean you know I was still ignorant to the fact that okay I can appreciate that the pandemic has had a massive effect on on how we've been able to shop and you know there's been lots of things about that there's a separate podcast altogether I think but I never for once thought that Brexit I think call it my natural ignorance on the topic would affect the fact that a simple product that I've bought for decades is going to end up on the shelf in the supermarket again for me to purchase. Absolutely. I mean, I'll give you one. I mean, one one practical example. There are there'll be many, many more. And of course, the thing about law is it's very creative. It's a very organic thing. Uh, give you a simple example. You've got a contract. Let's say you've got a contract, say, with a with a company in Belgium or something. And 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 there is references in the contract to the EU. So there's reference to to members of the EU defining rights and various other things. So what's going to be the position after? where we are now, is the UK included within that contract or not? So if the contract specifically defines the EU by reference to its member states from time to time, that will indicate that the UK isn't even part of that agreement after Brexit, right? Uh, on the other hand, sometimes you could read the definition as meaning what the EU means is each one of the constituent countries, including the UK at the time of the contract was um, was 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 formed. Are you yeah. saying that the law's up for interpretation, David? Good God! I'm saying that there will always be room. There's always going to be room. There's always room. There's always room for interpretation. Yes, indeed. Like the creative lawyer. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's exactly what I look for for my clients. I say the word creative lawyer all the time. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we've got time to discuss one more area. And um, I think that this is probably one that you hopefully can shed some light on to our listeners. But what is the new UK global tariff? What does it mean? What would it mean for businesses? Is that is that in a nutshell doable or not? Uh, right. Well, uh, I, I think I think you're, you're asking one person on that, because I'm not sure that I understand that myself. Um, Tell you the truth, I think. <laughs> Thank you for being so honest. Well, we oh, can all, we can always look it up, but I mean, because I, I heard that UK global tariff term being banted around, and different and different people have come out with different meanings for it. Where I thought, well, does it mean that? And 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 how is that affecting business and things like that? But my understanding of it, and this could be wrong, David, is that it's the tariffs that that's there as a sort of very simple table for businesses to apply. When goods are coming in, upon coming in, or if goods are going out, upon going out, in really layman's terms, have I got that wrong? Yeah, I, you're right. I mean, what it is intended to do, what's it, what's it intended to do, is to is to set out that our import duty rates, it's to do with import duty rates, apply to goods which are imported into the UK um, without any preferential treatments that have been negotiated. With the with with the supplying countries, so the uh, what we've done is we've we've said that um, that we've created a banding, a tariff banding, um, which are then provides effectively a unified system. So what we've what we've tried to do is to simplify it. So it's it's you know, I I can't say that I know how it works. 
operates in practice and not being myself an importer I've not had cause to look at that and I think maybe it's better off asking somebody who has got um, uh, uh, and I'm not aware of any litigation associated with this not um, yet if, if, if it comes <laughs> I'm sure it'll be very good for tax lawyers in particular. It's all, I mean, it's, 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 if you want to work out um, what tariffs are going to be, uh, what are going to chargeable on, say, duties on cars or on agriculture. Oh, yes, that's going in. That's really going into it, though, isn't it? I mean, I think we're, we're basically saying that the UK global tariff are sort of are supposed to be set uh, uh, mechanisms with set tariffs in there so that it's uniform. It's a uniform figures to apply for, for, for goods and services going out and the same coming in. That What they're individually, I mean, goodness only knows that. And I think you're best off going onto the government's website at some point in some corner of it to find those out. Absolutely. And the, and the question really is, are, how stable are they going to be? I don't know. So I, I don't know, for example, the extent to which these are temporary arrangements, the extent to which they're going to operate longer term. I mean, if, if I can only think in these terms that... Uh, that, that distribution agreements and supply agreements and that, I mean, sometimes people want fixed and predicted, predictable overhead costs over a number of years. If you're planning a business and you're thinking, I mean, what, what are normal business plans? Five years, 10 years? I don't know. Um, question is, can you do that? Mm, that's a very good point, David. Oh, fixed. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a businessman, but I, I think that the reality is that... Uh, that, that, that people, people are willing to trade sometimes higher cost for, for something that's fixed and predictable over a period of years because then they can build that in, they can model that and build that into their, into their business plans. No, indeed, indeed. David, that's all we've got time for. Okay, my pleasure. It, thank you ever so much. It's been such a delight to have you on my podcast. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. And I'll hold you to many, many more podcasts. That I'll definitely do. But what I'll say to our listeners is don't forget to click and subscribe to our podcasts. And you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and YouTube by searching Get Legally Speaking. Also visit our website at getlegallyspeaking.com. Thank you for listening. Empower yourself today with legal knowledge and follow us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook to get access to jargon-free legal information in plain and simple English. Today's episode is supported by Red Bar Law, the go-to law firm for expert, efficient and fast legal assistance, all at a fixed cost. Go to our website at redbarlaw.com 